Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today, we take aim at the number one strategy of our enemy to attack God's people and make us ineffectual in our witness to this world by lying to us. The particular scope of these lies will define for us only part one of this series' content under the theme of deceptions. Thanks for joining us today as we learn about the devil's schemes and God's instructive counterattacks for those who belong to him. When I was in fifth grade, I was uh, what I thought privileged to be um, assigned the alternate position on the sixth grade basketball team. I was a fifth grader playing with the big kids. And I remember they put me uh, after um, a few games, one that wasn't as important. I got to play uh, on the back side of the court for the tip-off. Now, if you're familiar with basketball, you know during the tip-off, you start in center court and the two tallest kids will jump, but those two tallest kids actually have to face their own bucket. Did you know that? They, they face their own basket. Now, if you're a fifth grader, you might not understand that because the ball got tipped to me and I went the wrong way. I, I scored on my own bucket. So that was not a good start to my basketball career. Uh, I, if I recall, I think that the referee at that time might have called a do-over because it was just, it was not good at all. It's a, it's a terrible feeling, isn't it? To, to work for the enemy, to score for the wrong team. Um, I want to bring your attention to this reality in the church. Uh, that if we are not careful, you and I being deceived by our common enemy, the evil one, may end up carrying ourselves in such a way that we're actually not working on the right team. We're actually working against the will of God. We're doing and functioning after the will of the devil. Uh, this passage from uh, 2 Timothy 2, uh, instructions to elders. In the context of this, there, is, um, there, there are lies that are being told. False teachings that are showing up within the church to which the elders are tasked with bringing correction. And so Paul says to Timothy, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him must be gently instructed in the hope that God would grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they would come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive. Look at that. To do his will. This is This is not something that we're looking at that's happening outside of the church. This can happen right inside our our very assembly, our body here. And because this is such a warning to the church, it's repeated by Jesus. He says, be very careful for wolves who come dressed in sheep's clothing. The Apostle Paul meets with the elders in Ephesus and before he leaves, he tells them, "Be, be on your guard. For there will arise from even within you Men not of sound repute, but those who will lead astray the flock of God. So I don't know if that gives you any um, sense of the seriousness of what we're talking about here. Uh, But we expect 
We expect it to come from the outside. But to know that it'll come from within. So do you know what we're going to try to do? We're going to try to educate ourselves this morning such that we will be able to identify those faults before it comes to this. In order to start with that, we're going to have to actually set the stage with some preliminaries. And so uh, some fill in the blanks here in your sermon notes. The first thing that we need to stand on as we seek to understand the devil's strategy of lying to us in deception. uh, I want you to know that the Christian will be influenced by Satan. But you cannot be possessed by him. So if you have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, place your faith in him. The gift to you is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which means you are purchased of God. You belong to God. But that doesn't mean that you're outside of the attack zone of the enemy. He can't possess you. He can't make claim on you. You belong to Christ. All the more reason why he will attack you and seek to influence you to stop you and I as children of God from actually serving and advancing the glory of God. So what this means is that deception for the Christian will always be something that's temporary. Deception will always be something for the Christian that is temporary. You you will be deceived. You're likely to be deceived from time to time. Many of you can probably even think of examples in your past where you have been. The good news is that with the indwelling of the Spirit, God has given you the teacher, the instructor, the advocate, the helper, the comforter, the counselor to redirect your understanding and to lead and guide you into truth. So that when the evil one comes and sows those seeds of misunderstanding, of lies, false thinking, when that happens, the Holy Spirit will draw that to your attention. And you, being purchased of God, will no longer be able to live in a lie. But for the non-Christian, deception is imprisonment. That's what it is. You're stuck there. For the one who does not have the Holy Spirit living within them, they have no avenue of recourse for correction. And so they're locked in. They're stuck. They're imprisoned. Enslaved is another way to say it. Here's the good news. Only Jesus can set you free. Only Jesus can set you free. And so this morning, we're going to look at a story. It's actually probably my favorite story in the Gospels. Uh, If you'll turn with me to the book of John, um, you and I are going to take a walk through uh, an encounter that Jesus makes with those who are claiming to follow him. Jesus is going to lay out some critical criteria to discern whether or not you're of the kind who have the spirit for correction or if you're not. And the crowds do not like this. This is one reason why it's one of my favorite stories is because it ends with like a mic drop moment with Jesus. Do you guys know what I mean by that? Mic drop. It's like, well, you'll see. It's awesome. All right. John chapter eight. If you follow along with me, I'm going to be starting in verse 31. I'm also going to read this narrative with a little bit of inflection so that you can hopefully see how the narrative places Uh, Jesus in this position of of antagonism coming from the Jewish crowds. John chapter 8, starting in verse 31. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants 
and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we will be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, and yet you're ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I've seen in the father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you're determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and now I'm here. I've not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say? You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies... He speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon possessed? I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. At this, the Jews exclaimed, Now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? By the way, what? really? You're going to ask Jesus that? Right? Isn't that amazing? Who do you think you Wow, look at these guys. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 54. Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, who you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you've seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, 
they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds. Do you guys see the mic drop moment there? Jesus, it's not part of my message today, but just so you know, that that Greek phrase, I am, is called ego, a me. It's the exact phrase that when we read in the Greek translation of the Hebrew text for the name of God, Yahweh, which is I am, it's the exact same phrase. And the Jews of that time, they understood what Jesus meant when he said before Abraham was, I am. It was Jesus' claim to divinity, of which the punishment for the Jews is is, uh, is death. It's, bla- it's blasphemy, and so it, it incurs death, which is why they pick up stones. So for anyone, an atheist, or anybody who wants to claim Jesus never claimed divinity for himself, just take them right here. Right there it is. This is the starkest, clearest example where Jesus unequivocally unites himself uh, as equal with God the Father um, in his nature. However, we're going to be looking at this under the uh, lens of the strategy of the devil. So, uh, has the devil been at work in the hearts of the crowd through this passage? You can see it, and you can see it in two ways. Uh, the, the first is coming in the way in which the devil is lying to them, and the second is in the way in which they have been deceived. So that's how we're going to study this this morning. Uh, we're going to give attention to the way in which the devil lies, and then we're going to give attention into the way in which we get deceived. Okay, that's our plan. Uh, we're going we're gonna to look at three main observations that I really want to encourage you to lock down. Give your attention to this. Because just in the same way that we looked at last time, there is an enemy who is calling out plays against you. It's really important for you to know what, to know what those plays are. And so we're going we're gonna to look at those in detail right now. Uh, and so again, that's just my, my own heartfelt encouragement to you to pay as close attention as you can to understanding the devil's strategy. Uh, So looking at three of those, uh, and then we're going to, once again, we're going to attempt to see if we can spot those all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Um, After that, we're going to conclude our our time together. So the first observation uh, under this question, how or in which way does the devil lie, is by pretending to be righteous. The devil will pretend to be the one who is correct. He will pretend to be the one who looks good, who looks right, who seems the most attractive in those sites. For example, do you think, as we read through this text, that the Jews thought that they were right? Did they, do you think they thought they were right? In fact, they kept claiming uh, that they were so righteous, they'd never been slaves of anybody. By the way, historically, totally wrong. Like, forget about Egypt, Right? Um, no, no that, that's how far they've gone in their deception, their own claim to righteousness. We've never been slaves of anyone. Once more, calling upon Abraham as descendant, but then going further than that, all the way into verse 41, the only father we have is God himself. They have been deceived, but they've been deceived according to the way in which the devil seeks to deceive us by pretending that he is the one who is right. You see this no clearer than in Paul's letter, uh, second letter to the Corinthians. Paul, in addressing those who think they're better, he says, and we'll keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. These are, these are the false teachers he's referring to here. And then watch what he says about them. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, 
masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Every caricature that you have seen of the devil is wrong. Right? What does the devil look like? What color suit does he wear? What's he holding? What's his tail look like? Right? Wrong. All wrong. That's a win for the devil if you think that's what the devil looks like. The devil masquerades. He, you know, masquerades, put a mask on, right? To trick people, deceive people. What's he look like? An angel of light. He's going to try to look righteous. He's going to try to look holy. He's going to seek out to deceive you in you thinking that that is the correct, more holy way. And so what does that look like for, what's that look like in our lives? The way we get deceived, it looks like comparative virtue. That's what it looks like. You are being deceived when you think you are more holy because you're comparing yourself with your neighbor. You're comparing yourself with your family member, with your spouse. We're getting a little close to home there. With anybody. You are being deceived in thinking that you are better because you are praying exactly into the, you're playing exactly into the hand of the enemy's strategy, trying to look holy and right. Uh, this again from Second Corinthians, Paul says, for we don't presume to rank or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. Self-commendation is one of these, right? But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they have no understanding. So that's what it looks like. Um, in our lives, being deceived by the way in which the devil is going to try to look righteous means that you will think you are better than others. Comparative virtue. By the way, do you know how Jesus compares his, his virtue? Look with me back in the text at verse 54. Verse 54. Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. Can you believe Jesus said that? I kind of feel like Jesus can... I'm fine with him glorifying him. Are you guys okay with that? I'm fine with Jesus doing that. But even Jesus submits himself to say, it's what God says that matters. So who should you compare yourself with? Your neighbor? Who should you compare yourself against? God. And as soon as you do, oh, how good do you look then? Right? Now we're on, now we're on a level ground to make sure that we know the distance to which we have fallen and how much we need grace. Uh, here's what this looks like. It means um, things that seem very attractive. Be very careful with those things that are tempting you towards drawn into their righteousness because they seem attractive. Uh, Jesus gives this warning of the Pharisees. Uh, he says, watch out for those who walk around in flowing robes. Watch out. Why? What are they doing? They're, they're, they're whitewashed tombs, meaning they look good where? They look attractive on the outside, but not on the inside. That is precisely the strategy of your enemy. He will deceive you. He will come and lie to you by making you think that some scheme apart from God's design is more virtuous. All right, secondly, how does the devil lie? By preying upon your humanity. By preying upon it. By seeking to exploit you in your creatureliness. 
Uh, We see this in the text as the Jews repeatedly, time after time, refer to their righteousness under the lineage of Abraham. Or children of Abraham. They keep going back to their creatureliness. The the definition uh, of their identity sourced in their humanity. The devil will attack you in this way. He, He will come and he will make you think that wrong is now right... Because it will appeal to your earthiness, to your creatureliness. The, the way that this looks in your life, if you're deceived by this, is selfishness. You, you will want more for yourself. You will think higher of yourself because you will have been deceived into walking down that road of receiving whatever is going to appeal to your flesh. Whatever is going to appeal to your creatureliness. Um, I want you to look with me once more. In Jesus' response, as he does not seek glory for himself, verse 50, I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. So selfishness is this direction of attention and desire for me, myself, and I. Jesus says, I don't even do that. Like, did you guys see it in verse 50? Would you be okay if Jesus wanted to do that? Jesus wants glory for himself. I got no problem with that. But Jesus even here shows submission to God. That he doesn't seek glory for himself, rather glory for God. Look at this from James 3. I want you to watch for the strategy of the devil again. James says, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Let's just talk about those for a second. Bitter envy. How do we get envy? By comparing ourselves with... Oh, there it is. All right. And selfish ambition. More for who? Not for you. More for me. If you harbor this in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, this comes from, he's quoting some false teachers who are leading the church astray. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is, oh, here it is. It's earthly. It's unspiritual. And it's of the devil. It comes by virtue of your creatureliness. How many of you want your sports teams to win? Yes. How many of you want to shoot the biggest buck in the woods? Right? How many of you want to be first in line or get the tastiest morsel or whatever it is? All of that comes because of your earthliness. The devil will seek to exploit that. He will come and he will try to get you to think that that's good. Yes, you should pursue that. God made you this way. God, God might be trying to hide something from you. And so you, you, need to, you need to listen to those natural urges that you have because those are good given by God. God wouldn't want you to be unhappy. Are, are, you, are you catching all these lies? All that is not from heaven. It's earthly. It's unspiritual. It's of the devil. Look at the result from James. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. And so the second strategy that we see from this text is the way in which the crowd has been deceived because the devil has been preying upon their earthliness, their humanity. Uh, This means that things are going to look good. They're going to seem good to us. The greatest example of this that I know of comes in Matthew chapter 16. Um, uh, Peter has just declared that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus says, 
This has not come from earth. This has been revealed to you by God the Father. And then the text says, Jesus began teaching his disciples that he must be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, going to Jerusalem ultimately to be killed. And the disciples are like, nah, you're not going to die. That's not what Messiah is. In fact, Peter takes Jesus aside and rebukes Jesus. Do you remember this example? And what does Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan, for you have in mind not the things of God, but what? Do you remember? The things of man. Peter has been deceived into thinking his way was better, was good. Which, by the way, if I was there, I'd probably say the same thing, right? Jesus is like, I got to go die. I'd be like, dude, no, like that's not the plan, right? Would you call Jesus dude? I don't know if you would, but would you, would you say... Right? Would you, would you be there with me being like, that's not the way we see this thing unfolding, God. We, we, we see this going the other direction. This, this is, this is going to go the way we think it should go. And we're convinced we're right. Right? That seems righteous. That seems like the right one. It preys upon our fear of death. And so the devil's going to twist that in our hearts by making you and I think it's actually better. Thirdly, the devil will lie to you. This is the tough one. You got to be sharp for this one. The devil will lie and deceive you by perverting the truth. This is the worst of all. Because you know what he does? He takes the truth and then he just mixes a little bit of lie. Just a little bit. Um, Here's what this is manifest as. A half truth equals what? That's a whole lie. A A half truth is a whole lie. And as we looked at this uh, scenario, you, you'll see the progression of it. First of all, is there anything that the Jews said that was wrong? Uh, I mean, the, the, yeah, they were wrong about never being enslaved, but they were right about being Abraham's children. They, they were right that God chose them out of all the nations. They were right about that was true. You had truth there. And all the devil had to do was mix a little bit of lie. And then it really shows up if you caught this in verse 48. Uh, the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Well, yeah, now you're showing your cards. That's obvious. Now you're showing how far you've gotten to claim that Jesus is demon-possessed. They're not even close on that one. I want to show you an example of this in the early church. This is from Acts chapter 5. There was a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property, And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. And he brought the rest and he put it at the apostles' feet. Now, you're not given the between the lines here, but here's what's happening between the lines. Ananias, in doing this, is presenting it as though it was the whole amount. So was this money received from selling the property? Yes or no? Yes. That's the truth. Was it the whole amount? No. Did he pretend like it was? Yeah. So a little bit of a half lie. Just a little bit of a lie. Right? A little bit of an untruth in there makes this whole thing now a lie. Watch what Peter says. Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? 
You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down dead. Uh, Great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. Well, three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? (laughs) She had a chance right there, right? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry yours out as well. At that moment, she fell down dead uh, at his feet. The young men came in again, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Why would God allow that to happen? Because the devil is a liar. The devil is a liar and he is going to work at bringing about the work of the devil from inside of the church. This was a purifying moment for the church. It was a lesson for everybody. It's one I hope we don't have to experience. I hope we learn it. A half-truth equals a full lie. And this is how you'll be deceived. You'll think it's right. It will seem right. I, I believe without question, Ananias and Sapphira thought, this seems better. This seems right. One other lesson for us, and how does Jesus handle this? Look with me back into verse 31. Famous verse. Then you will know the truth. Help me out, what's it say? And the truth will set you free. Not a half truth. Then you will know the whole truth. Repeatedly, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Verse 31, I tell you the truth. Verse 46, I'm telling the truth. Verse 58, I tell you the truth. Jesus models for us what we need to do in order to combat this deception from the devil. So can we see this in Genesis anywhere? Right? These, these, these three identifiers. He is going to pretend to be righteous. He's going to prey upon your humanity. And then he's going to pervert the truth. I want to submit to you, we can find all those back in the fall in the story of Genesis. Let's see if we can spot them. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat of any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die. Did, did they die physically that day? God said they would, and, and the devil says they won't. Did they die spiritually that day? Absolutely. Do you see what the devil just did? He put a half-truth in there. He, he took what God said, and then he just added a little bit of lie to it. He perverted the truth. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. Where did Eve get her eyes from? From God. They're part of her earthly humanity. They're part of her earthly experience. Don't you think it'd be good to have your eyes see more? That seems good. Does that seem good to you? How many are you wearing glasses today? Wouldn't you, it does seem, it'd be good if I could see better, right? So the, the, this is what she's now thinking. The, the devil is now preying upon her humanity. Eve, your, your eyes will be open. You're going to be able to see better. You're going to be able to see something you've never seen before. And you will be like God, knowing, ah, you will know what is really right. 
you will be the one who's most holy and righteous. Do you see all three? All three lies show up right there. Now, not only are we able to identify those strategies in the way that the devil is lying, I think we can also see them in the way in which Eve is deceived. So look with me a little bit further. Uh, when the woman saw, here's the first one, that the, the fruit of the tree was, it's good. It's good for food. Remember, if you have been deceived into thinking that the truth is something that it is not. You and I, we will see, we will see that something that is wrong um, will seem right to us. It will actually look good. And for Eve, this is what she saw from the earthy fruit. It now looks what? It's not a trick question. It looks what? It looks like it's good. Not only does it look good, but it's also attractive. Right? Pleasing to the eye. Remember, the devil looks like what? Little horned goat man? No. What's he look like? An angel of light. He seems very attractive. Has Eve been deceived here? She's been deceived. Oh, and here's the last one. Also desirable for gaining wisdom. She'll be right now. She can be right. So that she'll know better than God. And what does she do? She takes some, she eats it, she gives it to her husband. So I I want you to see that Hopefully, these strategies are worth your attention this morning. They show up all the way in the garden. It's the way the devil lies. It's the way we are deceived. You and I will, will miss the point of the devil's disgusting nature. Because we'll, he'll, he'll lie to us in thinking he's righteous. He'll prey upon our humanity, making us think that what we, our own unctions and desires are good, when in fact... They're destructive. And then he'll pervert the truth. Three conclusions for you. The first is this. When you lie, you're working for the devil. That ought to be a sober word this morning. When you lie, you are no longer advancing the glory of God. You have just scored on the wrong basket. You're working for the devil. We saw it already. Remember saying Timothy? He will take you captive to do his will. Secondly, when you are deceived, so there's the lie. Second is the deception. When you're deceived, here's a good way of identifying. Have I been deceived? When you're deceived, your desires will align with the devil and they will be against the design of God. So evil will become good. Wrong will become right. Lies will become truth. I want you to know, church, this is prevalent in our world. I want you to think of the, um, let, let, let me get a little controversial for us this morning, okay? Uh, let's think of the practice of abortion. Um, there, there's one side that will advocate for the death of the unborn because they think it's better for the mother. It's the most loving thing you can do. If you don't allow for women's reproductive rights, they'll claim, then you don't love women. Or, or if this child was conceived in some terrible manner, then the most loving thing you could do would be to terminate the pregnancy. Has anyone been deceived by that in our world? Yeah. That is a lie. You, you've taken something utterly, utterly evil and you've made it now seem virtuous. You've made it now seem good and right and correct. 
Or how about the confusion that's happening in our schools today where there is a, a predominance of a, wor- a word that comes from the internet, from TikTok, where young people are taught that they were created in their own bodies, that God somehow made a mistake. Or how about adultery? Have you ever heard someone think, well, God, God would want me to be happy. I'm not, I'm not happy in this marriage. Doesn't God want me to be happy as a justification for stepping outside of their home and committing that sin? Or homosexuality? I've heard this from ex-homosexuals saying that the greatest thought that justified their behavior was the idea that God would not give me a desire for something that wasn't good. Well, God's the one that gave me that desire. We had in Bible study this past week the question of euthanasia. Right, Watching a loved one suffer. The, the difficulty of watching that and to think that the most loving thing we can do is kill them. I could think of some more examples, but these are the controversial ones that I know you're aware of. Do you see what has happened? God has a design. He's a way that he's made young, young boys to grow into men. Uh, young girls to grow into women. He's made a design for a man and a woman to be united together. He has made a design so that an infant in the womb is protected by layers of amniotic fluid so that at just the right moment in gestation, that child is born. God has a design behind all of these. But what have we done? We have been lied to And we have been deceived into thinking that wrong is now right. uh, Evil is now good. Now, I've given you some examples that I don't know if you really relate to. So think about your own sin with me for a minute. Think about your sin. Uh, There's a great passage at the beginning of of the book of Romans. Paul is going to recount the way in which the world does not acknowledge God. And he says it in this way. They don't recognize God. They don't acknowledge God because they've exchanged the truth for a lie. Now, it's the context in Romans 1 that tells us what that lie is. Do you know what it is? It's the lie of self-justification for your sin. That's the lie. Paul says, these are men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Truth is like a beach ball you're trying to hold under the water. It wants to come up. But what do you do in your wickedness? You hold it down. And instead, you believe the lie. It's the lie that you tell yourself. It's the lie that you allow in your own mind and life such that you can continue on loving and protecting your sin. So we could go to the extreme examples, but I hope today that you give insight over to the way in which, you know, I think I'm being deceived. I think I'm being attacked. Thank God I cannot be possessed by the devil, but I am absolutely under his lying deception of influence. The good news for the Christian is this doesn't have to be forever. This is a temporary problem because you can come back to the truth. One final conclusion that's critical for us from this text, and this is a tough one. This is the one that will offend people. Your relationship with the truth will reveal your family lineage. According to this passage, there are only two families. Either you belong to your father God or you belong to your father who? The devil. And the way we know is by asking the question, which father's desire do you want to carry out? Which desire do you want to carry out? Because the issue here is not an issue of hearing. Did you see this in the text? Look back with me real quick. This was in verse 43. Verse 43, Jesus asks, why is my language not clear to you? 
Isn't that a funny question? You didn't know that Jesus was snarky, did you? (laughs) Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear? Is your ears not working? McFly, hello. That's what Jesus is asking them right now, because that's not the problem. The problem is not their ability to hear. What's the problem? They don't want to hear. They don't want to hear. None of us struggle with that, do we? Not, there's not a problem for us. Are you kidding me? That's exactly what the devil's trying to do, to prey upon our humanity, to make good seem bad, and to make that which we like that's bad seem good. And the way you carry out those desires will reveal where you fall on this. So I want to give you two options for counterattack. Remember, we are studying his playbook the war, the game, whatever illustration you want, it's happening right now. And so what's our counterattack? What do we do to stand against these types of strategies? Uh, first, we're going to talk to the children of God. If you belong to God, here's step number one. Love the truth. If you want to keep from being deceived, you need to love the truth. Look with me again in the text in verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Do you want to know how to keep from being deceived? You need to love Jesus. I need to repeat that because I don't want you to think that the answer to this is more Bible knowledge. Bible knowledge is good. Don't get me wrong. It is the truth. But the truth is a person. His name is Jesus. And how do you get to know a person? I tell you, one hour a week ain't enough. How do you get to know a person? You talk to them. You spend time with them. You interact with them. Church, this will help you. This will keep you from falling prey to the one who's acting like he's in charge and isn't. That's the devil. You need to love the truth. Love Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Do you know the best way in which they train um, uh, federal agents to identify a counterfeit bill? Right? If you, there, there's a lot of this going on, right? How do you identify a counterfeit bill? Well, it's not by studying the counterfeits. The counterfeits look vast and varied. Do you know how to identify a counterfeit? You study what? You study the real one. The more that you study the real one, the faster you'll be able to recognize the fake one. Here's where this falls into the illustration of love. Um, my dad liked carpentry. He was always out in the shop, buzzsawing something, right? Making something, sanding down something. I'd walk in there sneezing all the time. I remember going with him out to look at some boards. And if you love carpentry, you look at a lot of boards. And he would be able to just look at it from a distance. He'd be like, that's one we want. That's one we don't want. That's one we want. That's one we don't want. Now, I don't have a clue what he is factoring in his mind to be able to identify what makes one good and what makes one bad. Well, it's the grain structure. It's the crown of the wood. It's the bow in it at all. You've seen, you know, this, right. You pick up a piece of wood. You can look down the line. Sometimes he wouldn't even have to do that. What, what in the world gave him such expertise to be able to know which is a good one and which is a bad one? Because he loves it. He loves it. So he's involved in it all the time. Church, I'm not sure I can explain to you any clearer. The way, this is the counterattack to deception. You need to love the truth. And if you love the truth, you will be invested in knowing the truth. You will know the person of Jesus. By the way, this is the exact same problem we see Paul repeating. 2 Thessalonians, you heard it already from Wendy. Let me repeat it. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan. There he is. 
There he is. You've been warned. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wicked deceives those who are perishing. By the way, do you know when you're being deceived? That's why they call it deception, because you don't even realize it's happening. So after today, hopefully we will have a better idea of identifying those deceptions. They perish, right? They're deceived and they perish because they refuse to what? It's right there. Why are they deceived? It's right there. Because they don't love the truth. If they loved the truth, they wouldn't be deceived. So I want to submit to you um, that our first counterattack is to love the truth. You see that directly from Jesus. He says it in verse 31. Um, to, oh, I'm sorry, not to know that. He said in verse 40, 42, uh, if God were your father, you would love me. Secondly, you need to hold to the truth. You need to hold to the truth. Look with me in verse 44. You belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. Well, what is it that led the devil astray? That he didn't know who God was? No, he knows. He just doesn't hold to it. In fact, look at the very beginning. Go back to the beginning of this. Verse uh, 31. To the Jews who had believed in him. This is, I, I know we're, we're a ways into this sermon. Don't let me lose you at this point. Come back to me just for a second here. You, you missed this at the beginning. Let me point it out to you. To the Jews who had believed in him. Do they believe in him? That's what the text says. Are they going to church? Probably, yeah. They believe in him. Watch what he says. If you, what's the verb? Hold to my teachings. You are really my disciples. Apparently for Jesus, just because they're showing up doesn't guarantee a thing. He's talking to those who are claiming belief in him at this point. And he puts this huge conditional statement. Look, you're, you're really with me if, if what Jesus if you hold to the teachings, that proves that you're my disciple. Not that you show up, but you've got to hold to these things. So let's talk about what that verb means. To, to hold to the truth. Essentially, this is what it, this is. What it is. Uh, to sing God's praises really means nothing when life is good. Right? When life is good, is it easy to sing? Sure it is. No problem. But what about when life's bad? That's when it's hard. And now you will be able to evidence, are you holding? You don't have to hold when, when life is easy. There's, there's nothing pulling it out. It's, it's when you're tempted to let go that you and I are tasked and commanded with this. You will avoid being deceived. The devil deceived and wrong, a deceiver and a liar from the beginning. Why? Because he did not hold to the truth. Um, when I uh, was real young going out hunting with my dad, um, I remember he was supposed to come and get me when it got dark. Apparently for my dad, dark happens later than when I think it happens. <laughs> so I'm just this little guy up in the tree. And I mean, it is as far as I'm concerned, pitch black. But you know how a real hunter is going to be out there till the vast little bitty light. Like the stars are probably bright enough. I could get a shot off, right? <laughs> So I'm, I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. Now I'm tempted to panic. I am. I'm tempted to leave. I'm tempted to... I'm very nervous at this point. He's, he said he's coming. Is he coming? When is he coming? I got no way to contact him. 
Where's Jesus right now? What are we waiting for? Is he coming? Well, when, when is he coming? How, how much longer? Like, life's rough, right? How much longer do we need to wait? Hold. Hold. Don't quit believing. Don't give up. Don't fall prey to the lies and the deception that's going to produce some other false hope for you to chase. Don't give up on the truth. Hold. That's what this means. Thirdly, lastly, this is a big one. Tell the truth. If you want to protect yourself from being deceived, start sharing the message of truth. If it only ever exists between your ears, then you've never practiced. You've never really got accustomed to hearing it be voiced with your own mouth. The more you tell the truth, the more that it grows deep roots into your heart. Uh, Memorization is a good way of practicing this as well. But you and I, we need to tell the truth. Does Jesus do that for us? Well, yeah, just look back in the text. He says uh, in verse 34, uh, I tell you the truth. He says in verse 46, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? I'm telling the truth. He says in verse 58, I tell you the truth. Uh, Church, this is what he says in Matthew Matthew 12. Uh, Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you, that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. So what do you suppose we should do then? Repeat the lies of the devil or start telling the truth? Church, I want you to know this will work. Hold to it. Do it. Follow it. Love the truth. His name is Jesus. Hold to the truth when life is hard. Begin telling the truth and you will, you will protect yourself from being deceived by the lies of the enemy. But this is only the first half because we're not only talking about children of God. What about the children of the devil? What about those who believed but they're not holding? Well, here's the answer. You need to know the truth by repenting. You have this all the way back in verse 32. If you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. You've heard it. You've heard it, but you just want to know it. And the reason you don't know it is because you love your sin. So I want to conclude with the verse that we started with here. Because there was something in here you also might have missed. When it comes to belonging to the family of God, it is not a matter first off of knowing. It's a matter first of all of repenting. Do you remember there's lies that are going on in the church? The elders, they need to be kind to everyone. They need to be able to teach, not resentful. So that those who oppose you, you may gently instruct, right here, in the hope that what? That God will grant them repentance first. And what does the repentance do? leading them to a knowledge of the truth. So if you found yourself deceived in a way today that feels like imprisonment, I have good news. Jesus will set you free. He will set you free by knowing the truth, but you will never know it until you're first willing to repent, to change your heart and to turn. Church, let us make sure that we're paying attention to the enemy's strategies today, right? 
we don't end up scoring on the wrong basket. You guys with me? Say amen if you're with me. Amen.